When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a Nidalek collection, Samling, of Norwegian urban legends. So a delicious collection of Norwegian urban legends. <laughs> Ooh. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me are the hilarious, or Morsom, and amazing, for Bausenuth, Ashley, and Emily. Dang, you took it to a whole nother level. <laughs> Bringing my A-game. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't compete with this ever. It's not going to happen. You've just won the whole show. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I always win, win, win. I am I am Ashley and I am conceding defeat. Uh, for the, uh into into perpetuity. There we go. Boom. Eventually got that English word to come out. It's where we really shine. Yep. Are you ready for for some delicious urban legends? I, I think, think we so. are. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'm a little nervous because you look very excited, like very excited <laughs> to tell me. And I'm like, is there going to be a clown? Please don't be a clown. No. Oh, there thank are, God. Like, I can tell you right now, there are no clowns in any okay. of the urban legends. All right, then I'm 100% ready. <laughs> <laughs> so today's appetizer will take your breath away. Uh-oh. Mm. Bum, 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 bum. I'm into it. Let's do it. All right. So Norway is known for its ghosts, and one of its most infamous specters is the Bloody Monk. <sighs> now, before we go any further, I need to tell you about the setting of this tale the Nidarus Cathedral in Trondheim, which sits on the Trondheim Fjord in central Norway. Located in the city center, this medieval Gothic-style cathedral, which is amazing, is built over the tomb of St. Olav, the Viking king Olav Haraldsson II, who introduced Christianity to Norway and eventually became the country's patron saint. The name Nidarus is what Trondheim used to be called back when it was the capital during the age of the Vikings. Are you okay, Ashley? <laughs> no, because I can't <laughs> stop picturing Olaf the snowman from Frozen. I knew that's exactly what you were doing. <laughs> Wearing like a 
big badass crown. <laughs> I'm okay. Do you want to build an empire? <laughs> well, yes, I'd like to build an empire. Let's do it. Okay, bye. <laughs> oh my god, I'm such a fucking child. <laughs> Well, don't feel too bad because I literally just posted a meme on our socials where it was just about penises. So if you're a child, I am also a child. (laughs) (laughs) So the cathedral itself was originally built in 1070 and the work wasn't finished until 1300. It was hit with several fires in 1327, 1531, 1708, and struck by lightning in 1719, which caused another fire. Um, guys, I think your building might be cursed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just letting you know. 300 years to complete? Yeah. So I don't know why it took that long. Wow. they um, That must be who they hired to uh, do Pennsylvania roads every year. <laughs> I mean, in their defense, maybe the building kept couching on fire while they were trying to put it up. <laughs> I mean, maybe. that would explain a lot. <laughs> that suck. You come into work the next day and you're like, no. I don't want to rebuild yeah. the staircase again. <laughs> it was perfect the last 20 times I did it. <laughs> so restorations to save the ancient and important structure began in 1869. And today the building is once more as beautiful as it must have been when it was first completed in 1300. Allegedly. (laughs) Supposedly. Air quotes. (laughs) The structure includes the impressive west front, the main tower, which can be scaled after you've climbed 172 steep steps to its summit. (laughs) God, you guys. I have an impressive west front. What about you? <laughs> she was doing a little dance. She was doing a little dance. <laughs> Lindsay's like, I'm like two bullets in, damn it. It's like Australia all over again. It is. Okay, so what about that main tower again? That's a lot of stairs. That's a lot of stairs. <laughs> it is a lot of steps. <laughs> But apparently, after if you manage to make it all the way to the top and you haven't like expired on the way up, <laughs> it's very beautiful. If <laughs> you're still alive, if you're still it's so alive. Pretty. It's so I pretty. mean, let's be honest. In America, or if you are American, that's something you need to be concerned about. We do not do our cardio. We probably no. would not make it to the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably get like twenty steps up and be like, "Where's the elevator?" I'm already I'm already tired. You would sit down and be like, bring me some McDonald's. <laughs> I would be like yelling for Red Bull and like chicken nuggets. <laughs> That's how I would get kicked out of Norway. Snapping your fingers. Red Bull, chicken nuggets. Now I need fuel. <laughs> it is like put some nuggets on like a string and then like they ha- they hang it behind them as they're walking up the steps to entice you up like a oh, carrot on a stick. I- Listen, I do love chicken nuggets. That would probably work. There you go. <laughs> and the last structure, which is the Archbishop's Palace. So the West Front is known for its variety of structures. There are literally thousands of them crafted in soapstone. Ooh. What's soapstone? I think it's just 
a specific type of let me look I think it's a mineral but I don't think it actually has anything to do with soap I will look it up please continue I'm sorry I was just curious if it gets all sudsy when it rains it's largely composed of magnesium rich minerals it's a metamorphic rock Hmm. Ooh, it looks cool though got a lot of talc in it oh it's fe- okay so it feels if it's a softer grade of soapstone it will feel similar to soap when you touch it and that's where the name comes it's not actually gotcha. the the makeup's not similar to soap so i don't think it would get soapy when it rains <laughs> so this whole building basically feels like a giant bar of irish spring nice too bad it doesn't smell that way irish spring smells nice. <laughs> that would be nice no it smells like Norwegian fjord. Fjord. So only five of the original historic and religiously significant figures have survived from the Middle Ages. Because of the fires. Because of all those fires. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, right? (laughs) With many being recreated based on a combination of historic record, guesswork, and a 17th century print of the facade. So they really have no idea, like what mm. all these originally looked like. They're just kind of guessing based off of a couple prints that have survived. If anybody out there listening to this has the ability to make a new structure and hide it in there, please put a cat dog <laughs> <laughs> in the facade. <laughs> so the sculptures are a mix of people and creatures, including masks, angels, gargoyles, and a variety of animal life. So one of the more famous pieces is the winged figure of the archangel Michael seen fighting a dragon, which is displayed at the top of the North Tower. I like that. (laughs) There's a dragon. I know. (laughs) Another impressive feature of the church, particularly in the Archbishop's Palace, is its stained glass windows, particularly the rose window. Pieces of stained glass were discovered during an excavation project in the 1990s, proving that the cathedral utilized stained glass all the way back to the Middle Ages, which is pretty impressive. The Archbishop's Palace was constructed in the 12th century and has been renovated several times since then. To date, it is one of the most well-preserved buildings of its kind in all of Europe. Some areas of the cathedral that are particularly beautiful include the octagonal shrine, the two altars, the medieval chapter house, the two organs, the things you play, not actual organs, <laughs> as well as the crypt, which houses a collection of marble gravestones. And Ashley's vacation spot. <laughs> Fancy crypt! I'm gonna go there this summer! <laughs> the building once operated as home for a variety of Norway's powerful men and acted as a military site. Now running as a museum, it also houses the Norwegian crown jewels, including the coronation crowns the king and queen would wear, as well as several other ceremonial items. For example, the king's crown, which was originally made in Stockholm in 1818, is a mixture of gold, amethyst, pearls, and tourmaline with a red velvet cap. Oh, fancy. Fancy. The cathedral holds special significance as it's a pilgrimage destination for those seeking to visit the grave of St. Olaf. The site plays host to an annual religious and cultural festival in honor and memory of the anniversary of St. Olaf's death during the Battle of Stiklista. Okay, enough history. We're going to go back to the monk. 
The bloody monk. I had to set the stage. In January of 1924, a woman named Marie Gledstitch was taking part in evening mass when she happened to notice a handsome man dressed as a monk. Considering monks have never been associated with the cathedral, this seemed a bit odd to her. This chance encounter quickly took a horrific left turn when she witnessed him walk through a choir member before attempting to choke the priest. Oh, oh no. That escalated quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. As if that wasn't terrifying enough, the monk appeared to have a slash across his throat that was bleeding profusely. Understandably, she looked away, but upon looking back, she and the monk locked eyes. He glared at her and then simply vanished. Ew. You know what this guy reminds me of? You ever seen the Da Vinci Code? Yes. The crazy ass self-flagellating monk? Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that, but I read the book, so I, I vaguely know what you're talking about. Yeah. Just makes me think if he came back as a ghost. <sighs> Marie's account of the Bloody Monk is the first, but certainly not the last, recorded sighting of the apparition, and was published in a local newspaper in 1930. To further validate her claims, she wasn't the only parishioner that day to see the monk. Many other churchgoers came forward, saying that they too had witnessed something that day, with most stating they'd seen a pair of hands appear out of thin air before wrapping around the neck of the priest. Okay, that's even fucking cooler, though, because it's just, like, <laughs> disembodied ghost hands. <laughs> I know. Yes. The priest himself shared his side of the events, stating that at the time he'd felt an almost overwhelming feeling of desperation overtake him right before something, to him, got stuck in his throat. So he kind of felt like he was choking on, like, something he'd swallowed. Ew, that's a gross feeling. Yeah. I don't like that. No, no, no. Over the years, several credible witnesses have shared their encounters with the Bloody Monk, such as a woman who was visiting the ceremony section of the cathedral when she quite suddenly saw a monk covered in blood. And again, in the next instant, he was gone. It's not just the monk that terrifies people who visit the cathedral, however. Chanting and organ music can be heard emanating from within it late at night, which is creepy as fuck. That is creepy. Legend states that when work on the Niederus Cathedral is finished, the city of Trondheim will be hit with a devastating mudslide, and the cathedral will sink into the fjord. Considering the city continues to restore this ancient structure, chances are the residents can rest easy and be assured that they, and their cathedral, aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, so... The real truth behind all those fires is somebody kept setting it on fire. That's what I was just, just thinking, so that, too. Yes. Somebody's like, no, you'll never finish it. Not on my watch. <laughs> it just reminds me of, like, the Winchester house. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. you gotta keep working on it. You gotta keep working on it. Or the ghost will get yeah. you. I wonder where that monk came from if he's never been associated I with... I know. So I don't know if he was, like, a monk that was with St. Olaf. Like, I don't know. I'm just, like, the only one who's over here, like, what kind of hot are we talking about if he was a hot It's <laughs> like a hot monk. Like, are we talking about, like, when they say people back in the 1800s were hot and I look up pictures and I'm like, meh. Or are we talking about, like, 
whiskey bandit thirst trap kind of hot. Yeah, because that guy was ridiculously hot and it was upsetting. He looks like he was carved from marble, my friends. Marble. He was a good-looking guy. He is, and he has gotten better with age, and it is not fair. <laughs> Someone's thirsty. I would learn Hungarian for you, but you are already married, so I will keep it in my pants. <laughs> so ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Let's Travel More article titled The Most Scary Places to Visit in Norway, a 2020 Life in Norway article titled The Most Haunted Places in Norway by Jess Scott, a 2019 The Travel article titled 10 Haunted Places in Norway and the Stories Behind Them by Elena Alston, a 2018 Life in Norway article titled Trongheim's Nidarus Cathedral by David Nickel, the Visit Norway website, Visit Trongheim website, and Wikipedia. So sit tight, I'm going to check on the main course, and we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you are stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there is something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I've had their rapid stir-fried beef before with broccoli, and it is amazing. Once you taste it, it's like you're actually eating something from a professional Chinese restaurant. And that's something that I never thought I'd be able to do, even though I think I'm an okay cook. But HelloFresh makes it so simple to take these meals that you would normally get in a restaurant and make it at home. I personally have never tried HelloFresh, but I found that it's been really difficult lately for me between trying to complete writing my thesis and taking care of my kids to get a good healthy dinner on the table in a timely manner where we can all sit around and have dinner together as a family. So I'm definitely giving HelloFresh a try. I just ordered the one pan cheesy black bean tacos and the sun-dried tomato spaghetti meals and I'm really excited to give these a try and sit down and get to eat them with my family. I'm looking forward to having easy meals that are both healthy and delicious, especially with kids. That's always the struggle. So if you want to get in on this too, make sure you check out the link in our show notes because HelloFresh is offering our listeners $80 off, including free shipping. That's $80 off on the number one meal kit. Be sure to go check out that link in our show notes. Thanks for waiting. A word of caution. Our main course may cause auditory hallucinations. Hell to the yeah. I will have some. <laughs> I will hallucinate right now. Thank you. <laughs> Our next dish comes from the village of Baurumsvik, which has a population of around 8,000 and straddles both sides of the Luma River. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Hitting it from both sides. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Located in the lower eastern portion of the country in the Akershus region that borders Sweden, it's also known as the most haunted village in the whole of Norway. So back in the early 1600s, iron ore deposits were found in the area. 
So in 1610, the king of Denmark, Christian IV, allowed a man named Paul Smelter to build a foundry nearby. But only <laughs> if Paul paid for it himself. His name is Paul Smelter and he built a foundry? <laughs> I thought that was awesome. There's no way. He was like, I was born for this. <laughs> You're on the right track, baby. You built that foundry. <laughs> he was like, my time has come. <laughs> this is my destiny. <laughs> the clouds parted. <laughs> this foundry was built near Vayen, and a second was built in Gomrud. Five years later, in 1615, Paul purchased several nearby farms in order to merge the two foundries into one giant centralized center. That made a lot of sense. Into one giant foundry. Ended up being quite successful. In fact, this move caused the closure of competing foundries in Oslo, Auker, and Baurum, making Paul the sole supplier in Oslo. So it was one foundry to end them all. It was. Much. <laughs> oh my god, stop doing Lord of the Rings, Ashley. <laughs> the monarchs ran the foundry until 1624, when another company named De Norska Yarn Company took over the management and did such a piss poor job of it that it ended up having to be shut down in 1641 after a flood in 1638 damaged the bulk of the foundry. At that point, a Dutch merchant named Gabriel Marcellus, who was pretty tight with the Danish monarchy, took up management of it following its closure in 1641, and he installed a double blast furnace so the foundry could produce nails, iron parts, bullets, and cannonballs, which would have been very useful. Without boring you all to death... The foundry changed hands many times over the years after this, expanding the operation, having to rebuild after a fire wiped it out in 1762. What the hell is with all these fires? <laughs> I Come know. On. And eventually it was turned into a cast iron works and workshop in 1874. It passed to the Lurvenschule family via inheritance in 1889 and has continued to be owned by them to this day. So people in this family still own this place. That's an impressive That's an, run. It's a super impressive run. Wouldn't it be nice to own a foundry for over a hundred freaking years? That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's the next big hit in Norway. After it was finally shut down in 1964... Large sections of it were repurposed and developed into housing before the factory site itself was developed into a retail center in 1997. Now that you know just how old this place is and that it has a history of disaster and many, many people having owned and operated it, blah, 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 you have some idea of just how much energy is most likely surrounding this place. So keep that in mind. I'm going to say that this building is probably haunted AF. You would be right. Boom. <laughs> Today, the shopping center is one of Norway's most haunted destinations. To date, dogs, which are allowed on the premises, refuse to enter certain rooms, and there are doors on the property that will at times act reluctant to be opened. In fact, the restaurant known as Vatchuse 
that operates in what was once the administration building of the foundry is particularly active. The building, which originally opened in 1640, serves fare based on old recipes and classic Norwegian dishes. Known as the oldest running restaurant in Norway, it is now protected as part of the cultural heritage of the country, which is pretty interesting. That's cool. Several reports have been made over the years of the ghost of a woman dressed in green appearing on the second floor. A woman that has since been identified as Anna Krefting, who owned and ran the ironworks for 50 years in the 18th century. Just pretty bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. I can't stop singing because I think we're in a Disney movie now, I guess. I don't really know. (laughs) Ever since Olaf popped up. (laughs) I can't help myself. One of the meeting rooms is said to be haunted by the ghost of a man named Conrad Clausen. Okay, that's the coolest name ever. I quit life. I'm really just like, if that is not the coolest name ever, then I give up. Better than Smelter? I mean, that was just a really amazing coincidence. (laughs) His first name was Paul, though. Yeah. I mean, Paul's kind of normal. It is very normal. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. You want to smelt some things? Yeah. Yeah, I want to melt stuff. That sounds like fun. I like melting things. Conrad was a former owner of the foundry in 1773 and took over operations at the age of 18, He put his heart and soul into the running of the foundry and unfortunately died in his bedroom at the age of 31. Oh, that's a bummer. He was super young. The same bedroom that has since been repurposed into a meeting room on the property. But these entities aren't the focus of this tale. No, in the administration building of the shopping district, there is a phone. Remember landlines? That rings every night at the same time, at a quarter past 12 in the summer and a quarter past one in the winter. And this isn't a new occurrence. It's been happening daily, without fail, for over 10 years. But what if you answer it? (laughs) Good question. Whenever the receiver is picked up to answer the call, people will hear a strange beeping sound followed by an eerie static hissing on the other end of the line and nothing else. It's that Russian radio station. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't the oddest part, though. Immediately after, the phone in the next room will start ringing as well. Then in the room after that, and the one next to that, until the calls have circulated throughout the entire building. Technicians at the phone company have been trying for years to determine just what causes the phone to ring each night, but no one has ever figured out who or what is making the calls. The manager of the property, Grai Skoden, explained to a local newspaper that, quote, when we get into work in the morning, the whole switchboard is blinking away, end quote. They have determined that the phone signals originated from the lunchrooms, which just so happen to also function as the same meeting room that is haunted by the ghost of Conrad Clausen. <laughs> His message is actually, get the fuck out, okay. Get the fuck out, okay. Get the fuck out, okay. <laughs> and we just don't speak ghosts. <laughs> 
So ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Let's Travel More article called The Most Scary Places in- to Visit in Norway, 2020 Life in Norway article titled The Most Haunted Places in Norway by Jess Scott, 2020 Moon Mausoleum article, Most Haunted Village in Norway, 2019 The Travel article titled 10 Haunted Places in Norway and the Stories Behind Them by Elena Alston, visitnorway.com and Wikipedia. Are you ready for dessert? I'll be right back in one moment. Thanks for waiting. You may not want a doggy bag for the final course. Our last dish takes us to Oslo, the capital of Norway. Akershus Fortress, also known as Akershus Castle, was built for the dual purpose of housing and protecting the royal family when they resided in the capital. No exact date is known for when it was first built, but many believe the construction started in the 1290s under the direction of King Polkan V, allowing it to replace Turnsberg as one of the two most important castles in Norway at the time. The fortress was built after an attack on Oslo led by Earl Alv Arlingsson of Sarsborg in 1287. Following the battle, it was evident that the city needed a stronger defense against invaders, and Akershus successfully survived all sieges led against it, including from the forces led by King Charles XII of Sweden in 1716. Akershus first saw battle in 1308 when it was attacked by the Swedes. It gets attacked by Sweden a lot. Without turning this into a boring history lesson, I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version of the older battles it survived. An attack in 1449-1450 by Sweden, in 1502 by Scotland, in 1523 by the Swedes, in 1531-1532 again by the Swedes, in 1567 during the Northern Seven Years' War against, you guessed it, the Swedes. You are probably thinking to yourself, what's so great about this fortress that people keep attacking it? What's inside? (laughs) (laughs) Is it peanut butter? (laughs) (laughs) A nougat center. (laughs) Yes, I made the fortress into candy, and no, I am not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Secretly, the original Reese's cup. (laughs) Oh my god, that would be magical. Let's crack it open. (laughs) Well. Because it's right next to the sea, naval power was a huge factor, and the bulk of Norwegian commerce was conducted via water. Since this fortress protected the capital, essentially whoever controlled Akershus basically controlled the whole of Norway, which is why overtaking the fortress was such a huge deal. So, no peanut butter then? No peanut butter. Okay. Damn. Damn it. During his 59-year reign, King Christian IV, who reigned as the King of Denmark and Norway from 1588 to 1648, renovated the castle into the modern fortress it appears as today. Bastions were added to the north, east, and southeast corners, and the fortress grounds were expanded. Earthworks and wooden barriers had also been built prior to them being fortified with stone. The Great Oslo Fire of 1624 destroyed much of the old city. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Norway, what's going on? 
We've got a lot of arson there. Jeez. Literally the arson capital of the world, apparently. <laughs> Everybody's like, it's winter all year round. How do we keep warm? Let's build the biggest fire. You're one great big lightning rod somehow. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Under King Christian's order, the new city of Christiana was built just north of Akershus, while the castle was improved. Oh, and did I mention that this fortress has 67 buildings? This place is as big as 14 soccer fields. Jeez. This is a big place. So even though the fortress has never been successfully captured by foreign enemies, it was surrendered to the Nazis without seeing combat in 1940 when they invaded Denmark and Norway. It did unfortunately become the site of several executions during World War II, but it was liberated on May 11, 1945 and returned to the control of the Norwegian government. As I mentioned, it has been home to the monarchy and the primary focus of the fortress was that of a palace until the turn of the 19th century. It has also served as a prison for several centuries and today is still considered a military area, but it is open to the public. In addition to being a castle, it's home to two museums, the Norwegian Armed Forces Museum and Norway's Resistance Museum. It's still guarded by His Majesty the King's Guard and is also home to the Norwegian Ministry of Defense. I saved the best for last. It also holds the Royal Mausoleum. That is the final resting place for a number of Norwegian royals, including King Sigurd I, King Håkon IV, Queen Ufamia, King Håkon VII, Queen Maud, King Olaf V, and Crown Princess Marta, who, if you look her up, she was a stone-cold fox. She was hot. Okay. I'm going to Google it, but you better not be putting me on because I don't like when people do that. You said Crown Princess Martha? It's spelled as Martha. Yeah, okay. Oh, she had a very classic look, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, she reminded me of um, very old Hollywood. So to recap, lots of fighting, lots of death, and it's super, super old. We all know what that means. Ghosts! Ghosties! Remember when I mentioned that it's home to a prison? Well, that prison held a number of Norway's most notorious criminals over the past 700 years. Criminals that often had to suffer grueling physical labor, not to mention the fact that it was famous for keeping its prisoners bound in irons, chains, and even employed the use of solitary confinement as a disciplinary tactic. Eh, who doesn't? The Norwegian version of Robin Hood, Ol Holung, committed suicide in his cell at the prison after he was imprisoned there a second time back in the 1840s. A section of the prison known as Slaverii, aka Slavery, was home to the prisoners that had to perform extreme hard labor. Many of them passed away during their imprisonment there as a result. After the castle was liberated from the Nazis in 1945, Eight Norwegian traders were executed at the fortress, including a man named Vidkun Kuvisling, who was a known Nazi sympathizer. Many prison guards have reported hearing whispers, feeling someone breathing on their neck, have heard oh, cackling no. women, scratching sounds along the hallways of the fortress, 
as well as rattling chains over the years, including strange sensations such as the feeling of being pushed, all while they were serving alone on duty. The castle prison officially closed its doors in 1950, but that hasn't brought an end to the paranormal activity. There's a reason it's one of the most haunted places in Norway, and it's said that the fortress is home to so many ghosts that it's hard to pick out any one story. It's believed that many of them used to be prisoners at the fortress, including the spirit known as Montelgeston, a faceless woman in a long dark robe that is often seen returning to her cell. Faceless is just creepy. Mm-hmm. Like, is it a hole or is it like they're just, you don't see any features? What What is faceless? When it Featureless? said she has like long hair, I picture it as you like think the ring. ring style. Yeah, the ring. Yeah. Gross. No, I'm picturing one of those like Amish dolls. Mm. Ooh. Ew, yeah. Ew. Mm. No, I don't like that. (laughs) Perhaps most terrifying of all are the entities that aren't exactly human. One example is the night pyres. Women the size of babies with horrific smiles that are engulfed in flames. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? Women that are the size of babies that are like, (laughs) and they're engulfed in flames. Wait, wait, wait. So, goodness gracious, great broads of fire? Yes. Mm hmm. Legend states that their sightings signal that a fire will soon take place at the fortress. Well, given Norway's history, that (laughs) you could do that pretty much anytime. Yep. The Maiden's Tower, located on the eastern section of the fortress, used to be one of the main entrances of the castle. Since the fortress was bordered by open water to the south and west, it made sense that any land invasions would come from the north and east. And that's the location that our next specter roams. Arguably the scariest creature that calls the fortress home is the Mal Can Isen, a large black demon dog that guards the main gate of the castle. Said to have been buried alive right at the entrance to the Maiden's Tower hundreds of years ago by a gatekeeper named Garshul, the name Mal Kanisen actually translates to vicious dog. The whole premise behind burying a vicious dog alive was the belief that it would be just as vicious after death, thereby making it a truly terrifying guard dog. Well, that's messed up. I hope someone buried that asshole alive. I was thinking that too. (laughs) If you find yourself unlucky enough to be in the presence of this devilish canine, you better start planning for your funeral. As it said, anyone who encounters and is bitten by him dies a violent death within three months. Today's visitors report the usual paranormal phenomena, unexplained footsteps, disembodied voices, and unexplained smells. People have reported hearing the screams of battle near the drawbridge. And interestingly enough, there are several accounts of a ghost horse being seen near the main gate. Hopefully not with a broken back. (sighs) Oh, Oh. I forgot about that until right now. (laughs) According to legend, a drunken Swede 
once attempted to storm the castle on his horse. <laughs> I like it already. <laughs> I'm assuming this happened during one of the many attempted sieges of the fortress by the Swedes. But they both found themselves shot for their troubles. While the man may have passed on, his horse seems to have lingered and often can be found terrorizing unsuspecting visitors near the main gate. People who visit the Virgin Tower, which is the tallest tower of the fortress, are also said to be teeming with ghosts. Yeah. So it's supposed to be just like... Ghosts everywhere. Ghosts everywhere. It's a smorgasbord of ghosts. Pretty much. And that is the Akershus Fortress of Norway. Ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Life in Norway article titled The Fascinating History of Oslo's Akershus Fortress by David Nickel. 2021 The Little House of Horrors article on Akershus Castle. 2020 Life in Norway article titled The Most Haunted Places in Norway by Jess Scott. A 2019 Sons of Norway article titled A Mysterious Fortress on the Oslo Fjord by Andrea Buleta Jensen. 2019 The Travel article titled 10 Haunted Places in Norway and the Stories Behind Them by Elena Alston. 2018 The Unexpected Traveler article by Antoine P. Borg. Visit Norway.com. So what do you guys think? Lots of ghosts. Norway's just all about the ghosts. It's like, don't know why there are so many fires, but it's like <laughs> fires everywhere, and then ghosts everywhere, and then more fires, and then a horse. <laughs> Even ghosts on fire. Yeah, yeah. fiery baby women ghosts. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. The, the weirdest thing. I know. <laughs> I don't like it, but okay. It makes me think of um, in Hercules how Hades has those two little minion things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I totally pictured these women, <laughs> like those little things but on fire. Pain and panic. Pain yes, and pain and panic. Yes. I love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> We are worms. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I had in my head. <laughs> Anything good you guys would like to share? Hmm. What's good? I look up at the board and all I see is cults and werewolves. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think that's quite what we're looking for, but no, uh, no, no. If you have a pet werewolf, we could talk about it. I ooh ooh, I have something. That I definitely should have remembered earlier, but did not. So <laughs> thanks to the fact, thanks to the fact that HBO Max is a thing, I got to watch The Suicide Squad when it came out, and I Ooh. have seen it. I watched it twice. You always have to watch movies like that twice, because the first time you're like, oh my god, they're going to die. Who's going to die? When are you going to die? How are you going to die? And then you miss mm -hmm. things. So then once you know when everyone's going to die, you can watch it again and catch all the stuff that you missed the first time. How good was it? I liked it a lot. It, I will agree with the general consensus that it is definitely better than the first one, which... Mm -hmm left a lot to be desired and also mm -hmm. i'm gonna go ahead and say you can't call a movie the suicide squad and then only kill like two people because like that's not it you're not fulfilling your mm -hmm. title mm -hmm. don't worry that does not happen this time oh no oh it's a bloodbath from the word go oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um so i really liked it a lot and since i already bought the new 
poofy Harley dress, I'm looking forward to hopefully eventually being able to go to a con again. So, I always have to be Harley Quinn. It's important because even though I'm terrified of clowns, it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. And I will die on this hill. I would have to agree. She's not a clown. She's not Mm -mm. a clown. Jester. Different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is. They're different. Jesters and clowns are different. It's different because if I had a spirit character, like if the bad part of me had a spirit character, it's Harley Quinn. The good part of me is its own thing. (laughs) The good part of you is kind of like Hermione Granger, but with a little bit of Black Widow in there. I feel like you could be a Black Widow. You make me sound very cool and hot, and I feel like everyone in the world will be disappointed if they ever see me. (laughs) (laughs) Dye your hair red. You would look amazing with it red. I don't know. I also have um, Poison Ivy on my list at some point, so I'm going to need a banging hot wig for that. So (laughs) I don't have that one yet. I have several Harley wigs, but... And I need a new one because I need a different style. Nice. I'm trying to um, read actual books again, which is hard when you research and write a lot for a podcast. Mm-hmm. Can confirm. But, yeah. And especially when you're reading stuff that is not for the podcast. So I've started reading a book called Dark Ar- Archives, A Librarian's Investigation into the Science and History of Books Bound in Human Skin. Oof, I know oof. which book you're talking about. She's awesome. Ooh, I'm yeah. into this. <laughs> yeah, it's by Megan Rosenblum, and it is extremely interesting. So she basically is going around and learning more about these books and supposed books that were bound in human skin and like talking to tanners who go through the process of how they would have potentially preserved the human skin that they use to bind these books. And it's really fascinating because a lot of it is like some sort of medical text that they are just that the doctors or whoever owns these books are basically rebinding in one of their subject skin or something um, in order to increase this book's value by using human leather, which is disgusting. But she's discovered that there are a lot of books that are said to have been bound in human skin and they're not bound in human skin. They're bound yeah. in like, like uh, pig sheep skin or things like that. So, um, it's just been a really interesting read. So That's and the cool. chapters are fairly short, so I try to read like one or two chapters a night before I go to bed to help like turn my brain off. But it's a very interesting book. When you're done with it, you'll have to check out she actually guested on an episode of Ologies. Okay. Talking about that book. You'll have to go check it out because I think you would really like hearing some I'm sure there's stuff that she talks about on the show that didn't make it into the book that you might find really interesting. I'll have to do that. So I've been working on my thesis and I decided to add um, an extra chapter. So it's just a literature review, which is basically you write a chapter that shows that you've done all the research, which I have. I've done it in the past, but I just haven't compiled it all together like this before. Mm-hmm. So as I'm doing that, I'm, I'm reading through these papers. And part of what you do is 
you have to go and pull, you read through the introductions and you get little pieces and then you see what they cited. So you go to that citation and then you go to the next citation and it's like this freaking rabbit hole of yeah. <laughs> that you fall down. <laughs> and I have just absolutely tumbled head first into this rabbit hole of all this research and finding some really interesting things and I think some really good arguments that maybe have not previously been considered for the pathogen that I'm working with. So I'm really excited about what I'm finding and I don't want to talk about it yet because I'm still piecing everything together, but I'm having a good time and I find that I can't stop reading scientific papers where before I was like, eh, I like scientific papers because they give me what I need, but at the same time, they're boring. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I write scientific papers. I know they're, they're boring. I'm aware. Thank <laughs> like, you. You have to be yeah. you have to be a very specific type of writer to be able to maintain all of the like formal aspects of academic mm-hmm. writing but still make it sexy. It's a hard tightrope to walk. A mm-hmm. lot of people can't do it. Yeah, especially in the methods part cuz that's just Methods are important, but holy cow, are they a snore? Yeah. <laughs> like, <it's> just... <laughs> so, so I've been having fun following falling down this like Alice in Wonderland hole of scientific literature and reading. Joel's getting a little frustrated because I seriously have like a stack of scientific papers because I'm old school. I had to print them all out. I cannot read them on a computer and remember what I read. I have to have my physical paper that I can write all over and I can easily reference back to you and just whip it out of my stack of papers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. So that's my good thing. I know. Super exciting, but Oh, I think it's exciting. Science. Now I'm like over here like having weird flashbacks of when I was writing my thesis, which was a really long time ago now. But that was a rough that was a rough time. To anyone who may have run into me during that time, I am sorry. I am so sorry. I was a mess. (laughs) Incredibly sleep deprived and your brain is constantly trying to make connections. So if anything interrupts you, you're like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Well, that and then if you actually come up for air, I think at one point I made the mistake Mm -hmm. of going to pick up a paycheck because I really needed my money. And this was like back when I didn't have direct deposit yet. And someone was like, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? And then I started sobbing. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Because I was like, I can't get into this right now. Stop caring about me. Oh, that's such a mood. That is such a mood. I have to go back to my lair and write more pages. (laughs) Well, on that note, before we close the pizzeria for the evening... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'd like to share a review from one of our satisfied patrons. Groves 12 shared the following review on Apple Podcasts. It says, their topics as strange as pineapple pizza. These three are an absolute blast. They have such great chemistry. It's like listening to a room full of friends talk. Their energy and laughing is absolutely contagious. And their topics are on point. If you want to listen to some weird, spooky stuff, but want to have a laugh, listen to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Katie. You're amazing. Also, if you like what we're doing, 
maybe go check out Katie's podcast, Haunt Her, I Barely Know Her. It is also <laughs> spooky and funny and kind of off the wall. And if you like us, I think you'll like that. And also full of curse words. Yes. Like ours. This is yes. true. Although anybody who listened to the Studying Scarlet episode that we just did, congratulations for realizing how much I'm toning it down. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a fiery slice of urban legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. We're sweet and cheesy, and not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tea Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster... $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppAppPizzaPod pizza pod at gmail.com remember there's the two p's in app otherwise you're emailing someone else and i don't want to be held responsible for that thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels and just remember no matter how you slice it you're awesome and we love you